are interested in that, you don't have to be on the prayer team currently to attend the training. We welcome anybody. It's going to be this coming Saturday, July 24th, from 9 to noon downstairs in L1. There's more information in the bulletin, or you can go to our website and sign up. And now let's welcome Pastor Scott, who's going to give us the word. Morning, family. Our pastor Ben is on mission to a foreign land. Uh, he is uh, giving a sermon in a faraway place called Mill Creek. <laughs> and so uh, we just want to honor our pastor, appreciate all that Jesus does through him, but also like to just pray over the word this morning and pray for our pastor as he gives the word and just moves in the spirit and ministers to the people at Mill. Mill Creek. Amen? So will you pray with me, family? Lord, we thank you for your presence and grace over us today. And Lord, we love our pastor. And Lord, we just pray that you would bless Pastor Ben, that you would anoint him with a strong word for the Mill Creek congregation. Lord, that you would release the gifts of prophecy, the moving of the Holy Spirit. Lord, that you would heal, that you would call, and that you would set many free. Lord, bless him and bless that congregation as our pastor ministers. Lord, we also pray for us today. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would infuse us with the Spirit, that you would infuse us with hope. Lord, that you would show us that we indeed have a future and hope in you. Lord, revive our hearts and bless us. And Lord, will you take the word, the words that I speak, will you speak to us and speak through me? And Lord, will you allow our hearts to absorb all that you have for us today. We just thank you for blessing us. We thank you for encouraging us, challenging us, and calling us afresh to yourself. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. All right, this morning our sermon topic, our title is Redirecting Our Focus. Why redirect our focus? Well, turn on CBS, NBC, ABC, drive down the street, um, listen to what everybody is saying in society, looking at society, and we can quickly lose our focus and lose who we are as a people, our identity in Jesus Christ. Pastor Ben has been ministering to us for several weeks on spiritual warfare, how to pull down strongholds. That's been a powerful series, hasn't it? We are a people that fight spiritually. We have a people that have the equipment of the Spirit, we have the armor of God, and we have the sword of the Spirit. But even in that, at times when you're in the midst of battle, when you're in the midst of fighting things, you can feel overwhelmed. You can feel like this is useless, nothing is happening. And that is so far from the truth. You see, Jesus has given us the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Jesus has given all authority he has all authority, and he's given that authority to his church to use that authority and to touch that authority. And I believe the Lord just wants to move in our hearts and, again, just redirect our hearts and lives and redirect our focus to where we know that we are overcomers in Christ Jesus. Pastor has talked to us about spiritual warfare, and now Pastor is moving on to talk to us about the gospel as pastor ministers the book of Mark to us. You see, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that sets everybody free. 
So as we're doing this, we're doing this to align ourselves with the Spirit of God is doing in our church and in our lives. We are the family of God. We are the people of God. We are overcomers in Christ Jesus, and we need to align our hearts with what Jesus says and what the Spirit of God is doing within us. As we've said, we live in discouraging times. Life is unpredictable. Welcome to life. Life is always unpredictable. It will never go the way that we plan. And I'm so, God it, I'm so glad it doesn't, that God has a different plan. Because if it went the way I was planning on it, it would be awful boring up in a log cabin with nobody else around. It would just be torture for myself and the animal kingdom that was around me. Life is unpredictable. We don't know what's going to happen next, but comma, Jesus does know. Remember that. Evil seems to be advancing rapidly. Pandemics, fear, lawlessness, hatred, violence, and perversions, comma. But the word says then when darkness increases, grace superabounds. Remember that, family. And then there is also the distractions, the increase of the demands of life, um, that are a common part of everyday life. We seem to be in a squirrel cage and just running around and can't get everything done that needs to be done. But in the midst of this, Paul was ministering to his disciple that was going through struggling times, that was having problems in ministry, problems with society in that. And Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 9 says... There is nothing new under the sun. Paul wrote the section of scripture that we're looking at today to encourage Timothy's heart. As he was in the midst of the battle, as it seemed like things were not breaking through, he wanted to refocus his disciples' heart and encourage him to not only keep his focus on what Jesus had called him to do and who Jesus said he was, but also to continue to strive after the things that God had planned for his life. Will you turn with me to our scripture passage, which is found in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 through 12. Again, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. May the Lord bless the reading of his scripture. The scripture says, but as for you, O man of God, when he uses this term, O man of God, he is reminding Timothy of who he is, but he's also using a contradiction to that of men of depravity. He has just got done in a section talking about those who are depraved and not walking the way of the Lord, but he's saying you are different, reminding him that he is a man of God. Again, he says, but as for you, O man of God, flee from these things, the things that he just wrote about. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life for which you were called and about which you made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Again, may the Lord bless the reading of his word. So in this section of scripture, Jesus, or the Apostle Paul through Jesus, gives Timothy three instructions. The first instruction that he gives him is to flee 
and pursue. They're tied together. The concept is bound together. Now, in the Greek language, both of these are written in a command, but it's a continual command. It's not a one time. It's live this way continually in your life. So as a Christian, he's telling him the first thing to do is to flee. And that means to run away from ungodliness in all spiritual threats. The best picture in the Bible of running away or fleeing was with Joseph. And Joseph was serving under Potiphar, and he was ahead of his whole household. But Potiphar's wife had eyes for Joseph. And the word says that at one time they were alone and she caught his clothes and says, be with me, lay with me. And he is like, out of here. And he left his coat and he fleed. He had tennis shoes that he was born with and he ran away to escape the temptation. He didn't stick around to see how it played out. That's what is being said in this. It's that type of behavior that you run away from that that's going to entrap you and destroy you. Run away from these things. But then the antithesis to that is the word pursue. And again, it's an ongoing command. Do this. And what pursue means is to run after, to catch, to strive for something, and to focus one's life upon that. And ultimately, what the apostle is telling Timothy to do is to focus his attention on Jesus, on his redeeming work, and that which Jesus does. He is a miraculous Lord that sets the captives free. Grab on to Jesus, but pursue the things of God. And then he has the second set of instructions. And again, they're tied together. He says, fight and take hold of. So the fight, again, is an ongoing command. Family, it never stops. We may say this again, but when it tells us to put the armor of God on, it's not a daily practice like we all pretend it is. It was a one-time command. And it was to put it on quickly, to put it on tightly, and to keep it on. You see, we're in a fight until we step into the presence of the Lord or until the king comes back. And family, when the king comes back, it is all over. The sword comes out of the mouth. It is done. It is over. There is victory. There is a new kingdom. But also, family, we've been called not just wait for the battle to be completed. We have been called, family, to participate in that battle. When you sign up for Jesus and you confess him as Lord, the armor of God is laying at your feet and the command is, Put it on because you have just entered into the battle. How do you like that? I do because I read the end of the book. Did you read the end of the book? I read the end of the book. We win because he's already won. So the fight here, again, is to contend with as an athlete in order to win. The picture is a wrestling match. And with the wrestling match, you didn't just wrestle to wrestle, but you wrestled to win. And so with that, it's to contend for life that's pleasing to God and to continue to resist evil. That would try to pin you or suppress you. It's to live a disciplined life with purpose. The antithesis to fight 
is to take hold of, to grasp hold of. It indeed is a one-time command. It is something that you never stop doing to hold on. It means to seize upon, to take possession of, and to hold tightly. And the thing that you and I are holding tightly on is eternal life. I have this gift that Jesus gave me. It's four legs and one tail and a big mouth. It's called a Labrador. And the Labrador I have loves babies. The babies hate the Labrador because there's three-minute babies, there's five-minute babies, and there's seven-minute babies, and that's about it. That's all they last. But anyways, when you give this dog a baby, this dog grasps onto that thing with all that it's got. Now, it's a 75-pound dog, and I literally lift the dog up off the ground with the baby, and that dog will not let go of that baby for anything. That is its baby, and it's not giving up. The picture of that holding on tight and grasping on is what the apostle is saying to Timothy. You grab on, you clamp on, and you don't let go for anything. And the bottom line of what we're grabbing on to is not only the promise of eternal life, but is the presence of eternal life. And we'll explain that more in a couple of minutes. The final instruction that the apostle gives to Timothy is to remember your confession of faith. It's the confession of the faith in the Greek. It means the faith in Jesus. It means the gospel of what he is to remember. And it's the ability to bring back to one's mind an awareness of the past transforming experience that he had in Jesus and its continual effect on his life. Do you want to know that you're a Christian? What did Jesus do in your heart? And has it continued? I've told you of my past and what happens, but I remember that they sucked me into this place called a Calvary Chapel. And they said, we've got a rock and roll concert for you. And I walked into that place when they saw me, hippie, bad dude, drug addict. Oh, turn the heat up. So they cranked the heat up to about 90 degrees when I walked through the door. And all it was was Jesus' name resonating in my heart and life. And I was so sick of where I was, I gave my heart to Jesus. I entered into that place in a fog, literally mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And I left that place with the joy, the presence, the power of the Lord. I rest with clarity of heart and mind, peace of heart. Something that I never, never had in my life. There was a deep transformation that took place in my life. And it was the beginning point of my salvation and walk with Jesus. And it's continued to grow from there. And there are times of great experience with the Lord where the presence of the Lord transforms our hearts and minds. You see, that's what he's telling him to do in the midst of the storm and all of the problems in the fight that you're having is like redirect your focus back to that which Jesus has done and is doing in your mind. As we see the reality of his presence and the work of the Spirit in our lives, we cannot help but fall in love with him and keep our focus upon him. Amen? Do you remember that day? Remember that day. 
That's the command. Remember that day because it transforms you for eternity. And in eternity, we're going to look back at that. As we move on in our study, we're looking. He says to Timothy, flee from these things. These things are what he has written before the passages that we read. The first thing he says is flee from false teachings. And that the false teaching is that which changes the gospel and that which is not biblical. It is also that which spiritualizes everything and produces sinful actions. The scripture says don't add to or take away from God's word. And let's just be truthful. Get your iPad out, get your phone out, get your computer out, turn the telly on, go to YouTube. You can find a multitude of different voices. And if you look long enough, you can find that voice that just appeals to your heart. And you're like dancing it out. This is such a good voice. But is that the voice of the Spirit? And that's one of the things that he's saying. There's a lot of different things that come out. But is it the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ that changes people's lives? That's the truth that we seek. You see, the word is not difficult. It is proof that the prophets and all of that. But the word simply is declaring the resurrected power of the Lord that transforms human life and sets people from sin and death. And that is what the world needs today. Not the complex speculations that are coming on through the teachings that we have. Focus your attention. Flee false teaching. The second thing that he says is flee controversies, quarrels, and divisions. Don't argue about that which is unknown or not revealed. In the medieval times, they used to have a lot of speculation and they had a lot of time to argue about different things. And one of my favorite arguments that they had is they wanted to know how many angels can stand on the head of a sewing needle. You know what the answer is? Zero. They're bigger than that. Okay. So as we flee from controversies, quarrels, and divisions, don't bring disputes and divisions into the church. Focus on the foundational truths, but be an instrument of unity instead of an instrument of division. That's the second thing. Flee from divisions. I've met people that just like to argue for argument's sake. And you know what my favorite response is to them? The hand. I'm like, take it somewhere else. I don't have time in my life to argue with you. Family, let's not be arguers. We can get caught up in the whole atmosphere of our society. And there are things in our society that just drive me nuts. And I'm so glad that my wife has power over the remote control because there are things that just start irritating me and I start wagging my mouth toward this thing called a television screen, you know. And right in the middle of a great rant, she just turns it off. It's, just, it's devastating. It has a bad effect on me. It has a good effect on the house, though. Third thing that he says is to flee from greed. The greed here is the gaining of wealth and the gaining of position. The word says in this section of scripture that the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. The desire for things can cause people to leave their faith or to destroy the faith of other people. 
Let's just flee this. The word says that worry about today because today has enough trouble of its own and that God will supply our needs according to his riches and glory each day. But at this thing, we live in a world that is about material possessions and things and positions, and often it can deter our attention from that which is true. It can take our focus off that which is needed to be focused on, and we can pursue the wrong things. You know, I, you know, it's Deb and I living in a house. We live in a 1,500-square-foot house. No, I need a 15,000-square-foot house, you know. I'll be more happy that way. And I can turn away the attention from being satisfied in trusting Jesus to turning my attention on my material need. And again, the apostle says, this thing is devastating for your faith. Flee these things. Step back for these things. After he tells him to flee, he just doesn't stop there. But he encourages him by saying, pursue these things. The first thing that he tells him to pursue is to pursue righteousness. Righteousness is conformity to God's commands. It's moral purity. Family, we all sin, but it's like the attitude of heart. This is not going to stay in my life, Jesus. Take it out. And it's having a short account before the Lord. Righteousness is the act of doing what God requires. Basically, it's acting right and thinking about right, about God, about life, about other people. It's right thinking and right acting. What is righteousness? Again, it's setting our hearts and our minds on the things above. He goes on to say, pursue godliness. Godliness is the fear and the reverence towards God. It's having a visible faith. You know, there's a sense as you and I are worshiping a lot of times as we worship at our Ignite service on Wednesday that we're worshiping and it's just like all of a sudden, you know, the alert lines go off in my mind and saying, Jesus is here. And I always find in my heart, when Jesus is here, it's like, oh, Jesus is here. There's a sense of reverence that comes into my heart. You're here, King of kings and Lord of lords. I always remember the Apostle John, the Apostle John in his position as the youngest disciple, always leaned up against Jesus at the meals they had because they sat on the ground on pillows in a round, low table. But when Jesus saw, when John saw Jesus in Revelation, he fell at his feet. It was awe. He's the Lord of lords. He's a glorious Lord, a resurrected Lord. And godliness, in a sense, is the attitude of reverence towards God. It brings humility, worship, submission, and service. It's a heart to serve. He goes on to pursue faith, but it's really pursue the faith. And the direction here is to have a personal faith and also to have correct teaching or correct understanding of the faith. And family, that comes through being involved in a local congregation and hearing the word as it's taught in succession with that. So he's saying as he pursues the faith to be a believer, to have faith in Jesus and his mission. In other words, it's to follow Jesus with everything. When we were in Israel, uh, the first time I went in Israel, we had a guide that was a track star. And he was four miles ahead of the crew. And my job in the back was I was the American shepherd driving the sheep to stay along with our guide who was sprinting through 
one day he took us through the marketplace. And everybody all of a sudden was like stopped with all of these wonderful things to buy. Our guide never looked back. He never saw what was going on. Everybody had stopped. And I'm like, we need to pursue and follow the guide that's going on. And you're stopped. Get running. Get moving. The picture is much of that when he's saying pursue the faith. Don't let the faith escape you, but keep your focus on it and sprint forward with that faith, much like our guide running through the marketplace. The next thing that he says to him is to pursue love. Love is the word agape. We know that. That is the love of God, the love of Jesus. It is a sacrificial love that does the best for other people despite their response to you. As it tells us to pursue love, it means to regard with affection and a loving concern for people, for the Lord, for his mission. And it has to do with a sincere appreciation for people, for our God, for his mission, and sacrificial service for other people. It's to chase after love and to have that loving heart. And isn't it true, family, that we live in a place of just judgment, harshness, and selfishness? And with that, we need to counterdict that. Because family, it's not the judgment of God, but it's the love of God that brings us. At least it was for me. I lived on a ship. And I knew exactly where I was going. I was going to hell with all my friends and we were going to party. But then I met Jesus, the love of Jesus. And it was the love of Jesus that broke my heart. It wasn't the judgment of God. He goes on to say, pursue perseverance. Perseverance also can be the word steadfastness. It has an endurance. It's an action and attitude of steadfastness. And it's the capability to continue and bear up under difficult circumstances. It's a determination not to quit no matter what opposition comes at us. I was in the Navy and on a ship, and the ship was 500 feet long. And we got into a couple of different storms that I was there. We got into a hurricane one time. And there were 60 to 80 foot waves that were going over the ship. And literally, this ship was going under the water. The only thing that remained was a little bit of the smokestack. Thank you, Jesus. Because if they had gone under, we would have been done. But we were all freaking out. It came down to the crew that we're in a heavy storm, that we're going to be lost at sea. It was over. So we looked like a bunch of rats running all over the place. And everybody didn't know what to do. And the captain of the ship heard word of this. And so what he began to do, especially for us that worked in the lower levels of the ship, we were down several stories at the bottom to make this thing go through the water. Uh, he started calling us up in groups of 10. And uh, we came up to the bridge, the place that they run the ship. And uh, the captain sitting over there on a chair smoking a cigar, drinking coffee, <laughs> have fun with that, but that's what he was doing. And the ship was violently going up and down to where there was footprints up the wall four feet. And our passages were about three feet wide. And you would walk on the floor, walk on one wall, walk on the floor, walk on another wall. That's how it was going. 
and the gravity when the ship was going up and down was just atrocious. So we're completely freaked out, and we come up to the bridge, and there is this captain sitting in his chair smoking a gar, cigar going, what's up, guys? We're like, we're perishing. Don't you see it? Open up your eyes. Goes, we're not perishing at all, man. Just sit up here for a while. And he let us stay up there and listen to the commands that he was giving. And he directed the helmsmen and directed the engineers through the process of the storm, telling them what to do. And he brought us safely through that storm. And you see, you and I have a captain of our souls. And that's the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus, as he's saying this command of pursue steadfastness, it's to keep your focus and your attention on the one that is guiding our lives and the one that is directing the course of the ship of that which we call our church and that which we call Christianity. It's let him speak into your lives. We found such peace after we saw our captain in action that it was like, we're going to get through this. It's going to be okay. And as we see the captain, our Lord Jesus Christ family, our steadfastness comes from our gaze upon him and knowing all things work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Amen? Do you believe that? That's the truth of the word that just needs to come out of our heart. The last thing that he tells him to do is to pursue gentleness. You'll love this one. Patience with others. How's it working for you? I am so glad that our God is a God of patience. You see, patience is tenderness of attitude and, a be and of behavior in dealing with others. It's contrasted to harshness. It's an attitude of humility, of mildness, of disposition. I had this man in my life for years that caused great fear and trembling. He loved me deeply as a son. His name is Steve Shaw. And there was times I was so far off in my behavior and all that I did. When I started coming to his church, you know, I dressed in my holy clothes because that's all I owned. You know, it was jeans full of holes, T-shirts full of holes, and that. Never did he judge me, and never did the people of God judge me. But they were patient with my speech, patience with my thoughts, patience with my actions, and they helped me grow in Jesus. Instead of judging me and writing me off of being no good for God, they saw the potential of the Holy Spirit in my life that I was created in the image of God that gave me value. And they helped me to grow in discernment and understanding of who I was. You see, patience with people, because it's the patience, it's the love of Christ, and it is the revelation, the prophetic guidance of the Spirit that gives us grace to bring life with other people. It's not harshness, it's not judgment that changes the world around, but it is the love of Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit that transforms people's lives and sets them free. The final thing that really he says to him again that we've talked about is remember. Remember your good confession. The good confession that he's talking about is Timothy's public confession through water baptism. And that time in that society, uh, immediately believers were baptized publicly in front of unbelievers, in front of believers, in front of the world to declare that they were Christians. 
it was a way of publicly declaring that they had given themselves to Jesus, that they believed in him and they were not ashamed of him. And it was letting the world know around them, no matter what the cost, that they believed and that they were serving in the Lord. And so as he's telling him to flee, as he's telling him to pursue, he's also commanding him to remember. And it's to go back to the time that he believed the gospel message and he gave himself to Jesus and said, you are my Lord, you are my Savior, I love you. And to remember what Jesus did in his life, both in the aspect of the transformation that happens because the word says that old things pass away behold the new things come the word says that i will remove the heart of stone from you and i will give you a heart of flesh and i will write my law within your heart to be born again means there is a transformed life that we came and rebellious to the things of God, and now we are a people that want to obey him. And he is saying, remember the transforming power of God that you experienced in your life. Because as you remember how God transformed your life, then you will have faith to see the Lord transform other people's life. He is in the business of changing humanity. And as you remember what God has done for you, and you remember his faithfulness in your life through the struggles of your life as you go back to your first date, your first love, you will remember his grace for all humanity around you. But also it will turn you back to focus on that which is really important. You see, life is really about our love for God and our love for people. That's life, family. None of this junk, no matter how good we decorate it up, is going to come with us. But what is going to come with us is people's hearts. And it's remembering not only how God has changed our life, but also remembering that eternity has been set in our hearts, that we have a future that will never perish, and we will be with the Lord forever and ever what a promise. The junk of this life, eternity has nothing that looks like what we think it looks like because we look from the temporal to that which is eternal. The word says the eye is not seen, the ear is not heard, nor either has it entered the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Family is so far different from this temporary ball that we live on. So he's telling him, in essence, set your mind on the things above and on the simplicity of faith and on the changing, healing power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that good? That's a reminder for us in the day that we live. Remember your salvation. And as you remember it, it changed our whole perspective of life. Our application, redirecting our focus First, remember the Lord. Found a scripture in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 14. The scripture reads, When I saw their fear, I spoke and said, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Nehemiah was rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem to keep the enemy out. And the enemy was threatening the people of God. 
and they were overcome by this fear and they stopped the work. And Nehemiah's like, what is wrong with you? Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. He's turning their perspective back on the living God. The word says that if God be for us, who can be against us? What's the answer, family? No one. And so he wants them to remember the Lord. And I think as we redirect our focus, we can be overcome by society and all that's going on and live in fear, or we can cut that video off and focus our attention back on Jesus and say, if God be for us, who can be against us? It's not by might nor power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. There is breakthrough. There is victory. When darkness increases, grace superabounds, family. And our God is a God of revival, a God that saves, a God that heals, a God that delivers. And so as we apply redirecting our focus, we need to remember the Lord and who he is and remember his personal promises to us, but also his corporate promises around. This world has hope. We're not giving up because Jesus is alive and on the cross, has been on the cross and he is inside of us. The second point that we have is speak to the mountain. Mountain is difficulties. And what is being said is, is exercise your faith. Speak Jesus' will into each situation. We can be overcome by what we're facing, family, and we can look at the statistics. I've been in the place, in the doctor's office, and they say, bad, bad, bad for you. I've been on the mission field, bad, bad for us. I remember one time we were driving along, I was the only white guy for 50 miles, and we are in Nigeria. Nigeria is a crazy place that I love. We got trapped into a roadblock. We were going to be stripped of everything that we had. And we pull up, it's our turn to get whatever happens to us. Two AK-47s come into the side of the car, one on each side. And then one of the guys crosses himself and says, Father, and lets us drive off. You see the deliverance of the Lord? I had a no-collar black shirt on and a cross on that day. <laughs> Isn't Jesus awesome? There is deliverance, family. And see, it's the aspect of that that God wants to write in our hearts that we speak to the mountain. We speak Jesus' will in every situation, and we trust that our God is a mighty fortress. He is a deliverer and a savior. Jesus, when the enemy came to tempt him, he said, it is written. And family, as we speak to the mountain, we're using the living word of our Lord and Savior, and we're speaking to the mountains of difficulty, declaring the word of God, the victory that Jesus has for us. The third point is to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. To stand firm was the term of a Roman soldier, and they were directed to stand in battle, to be prepared for battle. We've talked about having the armor of God on, and they had the full armor of God on, and they were standing to fight. You see, the battle had been won, but they needed to hold the ground. Let me say that to us again, family, in our hearts that will receive this. The battle has been won. If you doubt, read the end of the book. The book declares that he is the king of kings, that the Lord of lords, that every knee will bow, that every tongue will confess 
that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. The battle has been won, but it's for you and I to hold the ground, and it's for you and I to swing the sword, and it's you and I to call other people into eternal life with us because that's the very heart of the Father that we serve. It's not only to maintain our position, but it's also to make a stand. Let me say as we stand firm, this is the statement that I believe the Spirit of the Lord wants to write into our hearts. This stops here. Let me say that again. This stops here. Family, too often we accept things and say, oh, it must be the will of the Father. No, it's not the will of the Father. Read the Word. But He's waiting for the tenacity in our lives. One of my heroes in the Bible was Elisha. Elisha was plowing a field and things weren't going good that day. So the Word says that he used 12 yoke of oxen. That's 24 oxen. That field was going to be plowed. And that's the tenacity that the Lord wants for you and I as we stand firm that we say that this stops here and believe that the Lord is our deliverer. The final thing that the Lord is calling us to do as we redirect our focus is that on press on. To press on means forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to that which lies ahead, and pressing on to the goal of the high calling that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, pressing on is that aspect of living in the present and not living in the past. And it's also the aspect of focusing on the future. You see, our future is with the Lord forever. The present is our God is a God of victory, a God that saves, and a God that heals his people. I believe that as Pastor Ben has been sharing with us about spiritual warfare, and that as Pastor Ben is ministering the gospel of Mark to us, our heart as a church is an awakening for the culture around us. Our heart for a church is revival within our midst and revival within the church of Jesus Christ. Our heart is to see the bonds of brokenness removed and see the victory of our God, the favor of our God released on our society. We're living in a time as never before that there is a hunger and a need for God because people are living in pure, in fear. And I believe that the Lord is purifying His church and calling you and I to focus our attention or to redirect our attention on what God says instead of what society and the world around us says. So as we redirect our focus, we're pressing in and pressing on to the Lord. We're standing firm in warfare saying, this stops here. We're speaking to the mountain declaring, this is written. This is what God says. And we're remembering the Lord that he is a great and awesome God. The Lord is calling you and I to redirect our focus, our hearts, to press into what Jesus is doing personally in our lives as we remember the great salvation that we have and remember that he can change each human's heart. And God is calling us to remember what he is doing here and now, to embrace the new, to expect a breakthrough in the salvation of our God. Amen? Will you stand with me, please? If you're here today, you're struggling, you need prayer, if this word is just speaking to you and I need to redirect my focus, I've been overcome. We've got prayer ministers, we've got pastors to available to minister to you. Receive ministry. Let someone pray for you because the prayer of the saints breaks the yoke of bondage. Amen.
Will you pray with me? Lord, we hear your spirit. Lord, you are the living God. You are a God of revival. You are a God of breakthrough. You are a God that gives us a future and a hope. You are a God that loves people and saves people. You are a God that uses his church to do exceedingly beyond, it, beyond all we can ask or think. Lord, in today, we ask that you would redirect our focus, that we would not be overcome by evil, that we would not be overcome by the propaganda of the age that we live in the voice of the enemy that moves through people. But Lord, that we would focus on the simplicity of your truth, the simplicity of the gospel, and Lord, that we would believe that you are the God that will provide for our needs, that you are the God that breaks through, that you are the God that will change and heal. We give ourselves, renew our focus upon you. Bless us as a church. Fill us with the Holy Spirit and release revival, release an awakening, release the work of the Spirit in the communities and the world we live. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Family, love you. You're dismissed. What's up, man? Good to see you. Good to see you. What's up in life, bro? Good. Good. And I think for you, I saw you walk.